wake up your beach towel and launch a lightning dawn raid on the sun lounges. Welcome to Tommy's and Jerry's, the podcast aiming to do for the Anglo-German relationship what Romeo and Juliet did for the Montagues and the Capulets, but with a happier ending and more Kaiser Wilhelm gags. Would you like to hear the Kaiser Zone's Shakespeare joke? Do you know what? Actually, I would. Kaiser me. During the First World War, there was, well, famously so much anti-German sentiment in Britain that the royal family changed their name from the all-too-German-sounding Saxa, Coburg and Gorta uh, to Windsor. And when the Kaiser heard about this development, he told his friends that he, would off to, he was off to go and see a performance of, wait for it, The Merry Wives of Saxa, Coburg, Gorta. Ah, uh, Kaiser Wilhelm, your card. That's almost as witty as the time he mortally offended King Ferdinand of Bulgaria by slapping him on the arse and refusing to apologise. Or when he got the head of his military cabinet to dress up as a ballerina and dance for him in a tutu and a feathered cap, only for the poor guy to keel over and die of a heart attack mid-pirouette. That's quite understandable, but also quite funny, I have to say. Certainly in hindsight. Um, Well, hopefully we'll find some better specimens of German humour before this episode is over. Today, brush up on your Lollenzollens, and your current ruffle from Bismarck, because we are discussing German and British comedy and why the punchlines so often seem to get lost in transit somewhere across the North Sea. I'm Katja Hoyer, a German historian living in Sussex. And I'm Oliver Moody, a British journalist based in Berlin. Go on then, Katja. Give us your favourite British joke. <laughs> I'm terrible at telling jokes, so I only like one-liners because I can sort of just about deliver them. Right, here it goes. A friend of mine went bold years ago, but still carries around an old comb. He just can't part with it. Uh, um, it's very historians. It's very much a historian's joke, isn't it? And what's your favourite gem of German humour, Oliver? Well, um, this is a joke that I heard at my first German stand-up night at the Quatsch Comedy Club in Hamburg. You ready? The definition of stalking is when two people go for a walk, but only one of them's aware of it. <laughs> yeah. Catch, <laughs> yeah. Catch, you've been living in the UK for a decade now, more or less. Are there still components of British humour that you find baffling or just profoundly unfunny? Yes, yours. Uh, well... It's hardly my fault that I can scarcely hold a candle to the comedic furnace that is Catcher Hoyer. But seriously, what are the British jokes that just pass you by? All of this really absurd and surreal stuff that all of you lot seem to like so much. Like People keep banging on about Spike Milligan and I've really tried to get it. I know it's quite old by now, but it's just so bizarre. I mean... I know he's a national treasure and I've really tried to guess it, but, um, you know, he just comes out onto the set, wears something strange and says something nonsensical in an odd voice and then everyone's laughing and, and I just sit there and think it's it's basically like a foreign language, that type of humour. You sort of have to grow up with it and be a, be a native in surreal humour to get it, I think. I mean, just look at your children's TV programmes. I mean, what is Rainbow all about? You know, I think people just sort of grow up with that and then get used to it, but I just can't. Uh, anyway, how about you? You've been in Berlin for, what, three years now? Um, so surely you find punchline about gender-neutral toilets funny by now? Do you know what? I, 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 I think they're a bit of an acquired taste. Um, the, the one thing I find probably strangest about German comedy is how, in 2021, it's still possible to make racist jokes in the name of artistic freedom. 
so there's my, my jaw really dropped earlier this year when um the Bavarian public broadcaster did a satirical blackface sketch about um how the old Bavarian uh, Prime Minister Franz Josef Strauss had um begotten a, a sort of fictional son in Africa who was who was kind of half African, half Bavarian. And the, the guy the guy had just plastered himself in, in um brown paint. Um, it was like something out of the 1970s. Um, and it wasn't a one-off. A few, a few weeks later, there was a sort of music parody show on one of the national television stations where a comedian was challenged to do an impression of Chinese opera. So he just sticks his upper jaw out over his lower lip and he puts on this simpering voice and starts hissing nonsense while doing a mincing walk across the stage. Um, and then the most famous example, um, of course, is this Austrian comedian called Lisa Eckhart who um, really kind of pushes the boundaries of what it's possible to say on German television with all these jokes about how Asian men have bite-sized willies and um, Jews supposedly have big noses because air is free. Yeah, there. I think there's sometimes even been a trend towards just trying to be as outrageous and as offensive as you can be, and that was sort of sold as, as humour. And, and as you say, the bizarre thing is that it still works, Let loads of people go and see it and... Um, it's on TV. They they fill mass audiences, you know, in, in concert halls and things. So that that certainly is something that I think, as you say, is very typical for for German humans. So I also wonder whether, and we we could definitely talk about this with our guests later, but whether there's an idea that German comedy doesn't always have to be funny. That sometimes it's enough just to make people feel uncomfortable, um, or to to sort of. Um, say things that can't be said in other contexts perhaps but um let's get on to that later how, how did you get your your first taste of british comedy uh like many germans monty python i think i mean we're all sort of obsessed with it it's on tv still even the really old stuff um and particularly um i like das leben des brian um <laughs> yes that is all uh in <laughs> that is the life of brian in german dubbed as well um, so people loved it so much, me included, um, in Germany that all of the films came out uh, dubbed in German and um, many Germans like myself will be able to quote stuff from this quintessentially English thing. But in German, I had to relearn all of my lines, um, like my sort of conversational quotes when I came to Britain because I'd never heard them in English before. So God, what, 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 what do John Cleese and, and Graham Chapman sound like in German? Could you give us a couple of examples? So, in you know, like in the Holy Grail, when uh, they ride up to that castle and argue with the Frenchman on top, here's one of the lines that the Frenchman says, Deine Mutter ist ein Hamster und dein Vater stinkt nach Holunderbeeren. <laughs> for, for the benefit of listeners who, who don't speak German, um, that was, of course, the line, um, your mother was a hamster and uh, your father smelled of elderberries. <laughs> and here's another classic. Wir wollen... Ein schönes Gebüsch. Damn, damn, damn. We want a lovely... What, Gebüsch? Yep. Bush, or sort of... Shrubbery? Shrubbery, okay. It's been a while since I watched that film. <laughs> Sorry. It's... it's. I haven't woken up yet. Okay. That's absolutely fine. Um, well, not all British imports are of this high quality, of course. Uh, I mean, have you come across Dinner for One yet? I have, inevitably... Um, so Dinner for One is a British comedy sketch that is uh, broadcast on German television, uh, traditionally on, on New Year's Eve, and it's become this kind of national ritual to sit down and watch it. Um, 
And the, 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 the story behind it is really interesting. So basically, um, in 1962, one of West Germany's most famous comedians went to Blackpool to try and find some new talent. And they came across this, this sketch about um, an elderly butler and um, his equally elderly female aristocratic employer, Miss Sophie. And um, every year the pair maintained the fiction that all of her distinguished friends, who are dead, are coming round for dinner when really it's just her sitting there while the butler runs around the table impersonating the rest of the cast. And then at the end they um, retire to her bedroom arm in arm with the words, the same procedure as every year, James. And this this line is, is absolutely ubiquitous in Germany and no one in Britain has ever heard of it. Um, and it, it's just... It's unbelievable the, the 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 level to which this this one sketch has permeated German culture. It's been screened um, more than two hundred and forty times on German television since nineteen sixty three, and um, in the late nineteen eighties, the Guinness Book of World Records said it was the most popular show in global television history. Um, and in Britain, it's just known really as this British sketch that all the Germans are into, uh, but nobody in Britain has heard of. Yeah, absolutely. My my family watch it every year as well. So even even now that I am in Britain, I get you know sort of images, selfies sent of people in Germany or friends and family in front of the TV asking if I could watch it in Britain as well. And I actually have to go on German streaming services or or YouTube to watch it just to make you know the effort to try and and continue with the tradition, I suppose, which is a bit weird. It's like a re-import now that I'm in in uh, Britain. Uh, speaking of re-imports or, or kind of traffic this way, is there any um, comedy, German comedy, that's made it in the opposite direction? Nope. <laughs> really, really no. I mean, G- German comedy has had about as much success in crossing the English Channel as the German Navy did. Um, there have been a few cult hits, um, especially in film. Um, I, I, I really like Tony Erdmann, which came out a few years ago. It's a comedy about... A German woman on this sort of joyless management consultancy job for a Romanian state oil corporation. Her dad turns up and tries to bring back her sense of joie de vivre, um, which is which is very sweet. Um, and the other one, and I'm really curious to know what you think about this, is um, Er ist wieder da, or it's known as Look Who's Back in English, which is a mockumentary based on a satirical Timur Vermes novel in which Adolf Hitler is brought back to life in 2011. And I thought it was great um, because it's a bit like um, the the American film Network where um, Hitler becomes a kind of television sensation because all the TV executives are just absolutely thrilled with him being so kind of controversial and unvarnished and railing away at the injustices and hypocrisies of, of modern life. And what I think the film is really making comic capital out of is modern German society and especially the modern German media and all of its hypocrisies by using Hitler as this sort of um, satirical mirror to point out how how um, wrong everything is. But did you, have you seen that film or read the book? Well, I've read the book, um, but it certainly grabs people's attention, doesn't it, if you <laughs> use Hitler as the main character. No, I remember when it came out in Germany as well, it was so controversial, um, mainly because it was the first uh, sort of big effort to make light of Hitler and the Second World War. Um, I mean, previously, even the downfall, you know, the, the really serious film about the last um, days in the bunker in 1945, even that was controversial for just showing Hitler in a more multidimensional 
way as a human being how upset he was at the end and how angry he was and then this like you know comedy thing comes in and, and actually you know pretends that Hitler is back and and you know becomes a sort of weird comedian slash tv personality and, and says lots of racist things as well in the in the process but as you say it's making light of um sort of current german sensibilities in the media so but no i think it's great it's, it's a great read as well apart from anything else it's funny that um everyone got so upset about that in germany and no one got upset about tim Avermas's next novel which is about um this sort of refugee movement of um, millions and millions of um, people coming to Germany from Africa in the Middle East and stopping on the border. And then at the end, sorry about the spoiler, the um, Israelis um, just send over a fleet of um, rocket-armed drones and um, essentially wipe out the entire refugee camp with um, with Hellfire missiles. And, and no one seemed to be bothered by this. Well, perhaps people people just got used to the threshold that you said with the Hitler thing and then went, oh, it's just him again. Um, and it didn't really... I, I don't think it was as big a hit, though, as the, as the Hitler thing either, so perhaps it just bypassed people to some extent. Luckily, we have two guests with us today who are far better equipped to fly the flag for their respective national senses of humour than we are. El Murray started his touring career doing impressions of a gun, various animals and a car boot before becoming a household name with his comic persona as the pub landlord with some um, distinctive opinions on the Germans. He once got roughed up by a bouncer in a German port city's red light district and described the experience as an interesting insight into Hamburg's mercantile culture. (laughs) Al is one of Britain's best-known and best-loved comedians, has a formidable knowledge of British and German history, and has latterly made a handsome career out of mentioning the war on his podcast, We Have Ways of Making You Talk, which he co-hosts with the historian James Holland. Al, welcome to Tommy's and Jerry's, or perhaps I should say, Achtung, Achtung! Achtung, Achtung! Um, Hello, thank you for having me. I've got to say I was delighted to to finally get a press release from the German Health Ministry a couple of months ago with the subject line, Achtung, in capital letters, followed by two exclamation marks. I was like, you guys, the mask is slipping. I did my my impression of the car boot at a a comedy festival in Cologne a very long time ago in in 1991. I did all my machine guns and all that sort of stuff back in the day. And, that, uh, it, it, and it was a, a very strange thing going to that festival because people will go, there's a comedy festival in Germany. That surely can't be happening. <laughs> you don't, well, of course, of, course there's, of course there's a comedy festival. How is that ridiculous? But um, we were all very well, the English comics, British comics were all very well received. Everyone was sort of, you'd see everyone sitting there really listening to the English and then they'd all laugh all at once when they got the joke. It was a, a lovely experience. <laughs> In the um, German corner, it's my privilege to introduce Henning Vane, the sadly still unofficial German comedy ambassador to the UK. <laughs> Henning grew up in Hagen, Germany's 41st largest city, and apparently the Pearl of the Ruhr Valley, which is a bit like the hipster district of Wolverhampton. He moved to Britain in 2002 to work in the marketing department of Wickham Wanderers Football Club and became a stand-up comedian after attending an open mic night and realising he couldn't possibly do worse than anybody else on the stage. He also has some distinctive comedic takes on the Germans, I've been combing through his back catalogue and found this line. Why did my grandfather cross the road to occupy France? Annie, <laughs> welcome. Have you tried that line in Hagen yet? Uh, no, I've never done a gig there. That's still to come. So now all my work, I'm, uh, I'm export only. <laughs> and, um, do you still hold out any hope that the German foreign ministry might one day make your ambassadorship official? 
Well, the German Tourism Board now had me as their official ambassador of an advertising campaign to lure people to go on holidays to Germany. So uh, definitely a big stepping stone in the right direction, I reckon. I have got a letter from the German embassy and there was some invite for one thing or other. And uh, they addressed me on the letter from the German embassy. It's addressed to German comedy ambassador Henning Wien. So, uh, I mean, and he's got the big, the big stamp from the embassy on, on the envelope. I mean, that is as official as it needs to be, isn't it? That is, I reckon. That's very strong, <laughs> Henning. Very, very good. I, I, and the last time I went to the, the embassy um, was for the Germany-Brazil games uh, when <laughs> Germany th- thrashed Brazil. Um, oh, that was good fun. Oh, God, well, no, that. it was really interesting because for the first, the first sort of three goals, the place was like was was like insanely um, excited and people chanting schland and all this sort of thing, right? And then by the sixth goal, everyone the German the German were pretty embarrassed. They didn't they didn't like the sort of crushing aspect to their victory. They weren't happy. That's the trouble with your mingling with official Germany. <laughs> I was I was with with proper Germany and we loved it. The only thing that annoyed us was Özil when he run was clear through on goal didn't make it eight. That was the only. <laughs> Apparently, the uh, embassy in London was also hugely worried in 1966, um, and they said because it was so close during the game between England um, and Germany in the World Cup final, and they said if England don't win this now. All the progress, all the diplomatic progress that had been made would just go down the toilet. So they actually genuinely hoped that that England would win this because they were so concerned about the diplomatic fallout from it if they don't. Oh, yeah, and that said bending over backwards, I don't like. <laughs> it was perhaps more understandable in 1966. But... All right. Anyway, Al, a uh, quick mm. question before we get going. Other than your... Um, uh, sort of appearance in Cologne. Have you ever been on tour in Germany? No, it it, it keeps sort of not quite happening. Um, uh, there's a club in Berlin I keep being invited to, invited to play, and it keeps never. I keep never quite getting. It's my 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 management company. They're quite keen on the bottom line, and I think that one of the issues we're going to Germany is the that the um the, the money's not there quite yet. So so we haven't gone. I've been I've been to I've been to Brussels. I've been to I mean I've been to English speaking. Uh, uh, colonies, but not, um, uh, but not. I've not been to Germany, and uh, I'd love. To, I would absolutely love to go. Apart from with my old act, I've never done the pub landlord in Germany. I think, which I think would be pretty interesting. I've to, mm. He's been to Austria. I went to a ski resort. There used to be a. There used to be a, um, a comedy festival at a ski resort that would move when the ski resort realised that. Every, it, it would move every couple of years when the ski resort realised it didn't need a comedy festival, so it would switch to another <laughs> one, organised by comedians who wanted to go. Snowboarding, basically, and it would move. And I've been so I've been to Austria, I've been to Switzerland, but never Germany, never, never, never the fatherland. Have you never had like a corporate gig in Germany where you've done a show in English? No, I've not. I've done that in Rome, but I've not. But, but again, it, it's, we've just never. I've just never pitched up there. I've filmed quite a lot there and um, uh, done done quite a bit of uh, TV there, but never actually any stand up. And it, which it, which feels like a sort of gap because I'd love to do it. And. Um... Henning, you um, started out in stand-up after you moved to the UK. Do you think things would have been different if you'd stayed in Germany? Yeah, better hotels. Um, uh, <laughs> I, would, I would have said a few years ago, I would have said more reliable train system, but that you can't really claim that to be the case any longer. So, um, 
Now, what would have changed? Uh, I think my acting Britain on the British scene is very scripted and narrative driven. If I was in Germany and I would do it in my first language, I would be more free flowing. I, I say I would be more like uh, probably a bit more like Ross Noble. <laughs> 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 and being able to go up on flights of fancy. I mean, that is just something because of the language hurdle. I mean, call it confidence, call it lack of ability, but it's like um, I don't feel comfortable um, going off on flights of fancy because they, they never get me anywhere. <laughs> so it's like then there is a word missing or it's just all, it's just everything in my head in English is that split second too slow to make to make anything off the cuff work over a, a, an extended period mm, mm. and um inevitably it's trying to perhaps quite difficult try and get us you know a national sense of humor um given the sheer variety of of tastes within any given country um i could certainly name a few britons who don't appear to have um, any sense of humor oh thanks catch yeah <laughs> <laughs> anytime um, but Al, um, is there even such a thing as a British sense of humour that would distinguish the UK from, say, Germany? or um, And where does it actually reside when it's at home? Well, I don't know. I'm really conflicted about this issue because um, because I, I, I don't know. I grew up I grew up in a time where you would you would you would read newspapers like, like the, at school. We used to get the Daily Mail and you'd, you'd you'd read the mail and it would basically. This is my memory of or impression of of the past is that we were regularly told we had the greatest sense of humor in the world. And you sort of think, well, how on earth is that tested or testable? And it's, that's sort of like having a football team, right? You know, you think that you, you think Liverpool are great. It, it, it's got, there's no relevant re relevance to your experience of any of the other, um, you know, uh, uh, contenders. I, I just don't know how people arrive at the idea that we have the greatest sense of humor in the world, especially as the thing that they also then say, it's because we were able to laugh at ourselves, but they seem unable to laugh at the vainglorious boast that we have the greatest sense of humour in the world. So this is sort of the contradictions at the heart of that, I think, are, are really interesting. And, I, and you know, I also grew up in a time where we were told Germans don't have a sense of humour, which is a, you know, which is a fragment of First World War propaganda, where that that's an idea that actually got sort of puffed up and put on its feet during the First World War. It's the idea that you know, Germans are humourless. Which means that they're, to other to, to to other Germans. However, on the other hand, <laughs> um, I, I you know, I don't think there is a I don't think I I don't I really don't think there is a British sense of humour any more than there's necessarily a German one or a French one. I think um, there are there are things that are sort of to the fore. You know, in, because for instance, in France right now, le stand up is coming through as a sort of um, as a phenomenon where people do stand up like we're familiar with here. But I don't know that I don't know that, there, that that therefore means France is finally catching up in some sort of comedic <laughs> arms race or something. I don't, I don't know. It's I find it it's very very difficult to talk about this because after all, what happens as new platforms emerge, new cultures come through, and ways of ways of delivering comedy. So different different countries take a lead or whatever. So Carl Valentin, for instance, doing silent films in the in the you know in the twenties out of Munich, you know, ahead of ahead ahead of other people. You know, ahead of Chaplin and ahead of, and then and then obviously being lapped, overtaken by that. I don't know. I, I, 
I mean, this is a useless answer, really, because I don't know. And that's not what we're here. You don't want an opinion programme where people say, oh, I, don't, I don't know. What is definitely the case is the social importance of Yuma is much bigger. That's interesting. In interesting. Britain. Like, as you say, the front cover of the mail goes, we have got the greatest sense of, of humour in the world. Now, or like any job advert will ask an applicant, to prove a great sense of humor or like everyone writes in their CV, my, one of my skills, great sense of humor. And then in Germany, you would go, if you work in HR and you find that on your desk, you think, what's that got to do with the task in end? <laughs> so it's like, so it's given, <laughs> it's, 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 it's given, uh, yeah, the, the social importance of humor is different. The quality, and, and, and I would say, because of the amount of bands that's happening in Britain. People are always quipping and bantering. And as a result of that, the average person is probably more skilled at it mm. than someone in Germany because they purely they spend so much time owning it. But then, like most, I would say how a German bands goes is just blunt statements. So, and then that you subvert maybe with a twinkle of your eye, but it's essentially, you're just, I would describe the German sense of humor as just blunt statements. That's everyday humor. Like, oh, that's going well. So or you call it sarcasm or whatever you want to call it. So, but it's essentially all, essentially calling everything at face value. That's what I would describe as the German sense of humor. Because, I mean, but Berliners are famous, aren't they, for their schnauts, aren't they? That they're, 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 they're blunt with people and they, you know, uh, what time is it time to get a watch, buddy? That kind of, that kind of snark. And I, uh, yeah, I mean, although I think I think in the UK, snark has has also been a thing that sort of, in the last in the last couple of decades, has has pushed forward in the way people do bants now. That people are snarkier than they were. I don't know. It feels like they are snarkier than they were, say, twenty years ago. But I, I don't know. I always think grand surveys are very, very difficult to, 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 to grip really because they're so. You're so necessarily subjective. I mean, the thing that the thing that has changed massively here, though, and I think Henning's right about this, is the centrality of of uh, comedy. You know, comedy, comedy. Every advert is meant to be funny now. Every uh, every drama is a drama comedy or a comedy drama. Everything there's jokes in everything now in British culture. Have you have you done Question Time, Henning? Yeah, I think I, I single-handedly made sure the Brexit vote comes through. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was calling that the rip-roaring success. <laughs> um, Henning, I don't want to put you in a box marked British stereotypes about the Germans, because um, I expect it would be quite belligerent and shouty inside that box, um, although the trains would run very well. Um, but you've, you've definitely spent a lot of your career using your nationality as a, a resource for comedy. And... I'm interested to know, in your experience, what exactly... Well, that's quite a big assessment to start with, I would say, but yeah, yeah, carry on. But, but, but in your experience, what is it exactly that British audiences do find funny about the Germans? And does it ever make you feel uncomfortable? In any- uh, well, I would say about that, I, that I used my nationality as a springboard. I mean, that is like... There's always a certain degree when I hear that, there's always a certain degree of trying to belittle what I do, and that is fair enough. So, um, but the thing is, I can only talk about, I was, wherever you were born, wherever you grew up, you grow up in, some, in a certain value system. And that teaches you right from wrong, depending on where you grow up. So, 
Now, if I look at the word, I mean, it's, in a way, it's completely silly. It's saying, what, is how he looks always, he looks at always at everything in the world according to parameters he was raised in and, and, and he, he, he recognizes as, as, as right or as wrong. And yeah, I mean, of course I do. Because that's who I am. That's where I was, where I grew up. That's the value system. I, I believe in apprenticeships. I believe in proportional representation. So that doesn't make me German as such, but that just means that is, that's who I am. It's ridiculous to suggest, I, I mean, then I might as well start some character act. <laughs> and then Alan and I, we can go together as, 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 as two character actors or something. But I mean, you 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 do use being German as you like you say as a springboard. So in in a sense, you 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 pl- you start off using that initial impression that British people have. But then I always think I start off using an impression of a kind of British person. British person, anyway. That that I'm doing a I'm doing a I'm doing what people think of the English to some extent um, mm. uh, as well. So that so actually we we. we I occupy quite similar space. I mean, I have to say, your stuff about proportional representation is really, really funny as well. (laughs) (laughs) 20 minutes on that, Henning, it's killing. There is a woman, I mean, a woman comes on stage, well, she will look at the world from a female perspective, won't she? I mean, that's not not given these days, but, um, I mean, it's like, um, of course you look at the world from the point that, that you know. It's absurd to suggest any different. I, I mean, I certainly didn't mean to belittle your comedy with that question. <laughs> what I was getting at is... is... Well, that is like that. I made someone uncomfortable. That's a win. Right. <laughs> How very German of you, Henning. <laughs> Success. Boom. We've come full circle. Yeah. <laughs> Don't we always, but that's the thing about any of these podcasts or any conversation in life. It always comes around full circle, doesn't it? So you might as well not bother doing it because by the, by the end, it's just being, you, you end up where you started. That's always the case. But <laughs> the end of this, no one's got a better idea of German humour or British humour. So uh, everyone will be exactly where they started. And that's the beauty of life. It's the right. circle of life, I think. <laughs> but in all do, do you ever get uncomfortable about some of the things British audiences expect to laugh at in relation to the Germans? Or about any of the dynamics involved in these jokes? No. Can you give me an example of what you reckon might trigger that? Well, yeah, OK. The um, occupying the Rhineland joke that we mentioned earlier. This idea that, you know... A German's on stage, the war is there as an elephant in the room. When's somebody going to mention the war? That is a dynamic, right? But you, you get a British, a British person on stage, when are they going to mention the war? I mean, it's, 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 uh, it, it, I mean you, you're absolutely right, Oliver. But, but uh, I mean, I, it does, it does, I mean, Henning, I always think what's interesting is you, you doesn't bother you. You wear it lightly. You, um, you're, 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 and you're not, it's not that you're confrontational with it as such, because I don't, because that that makes it sound like a sort. That makes you sound terribly serious, which of course you're not. But you do come and go. All right, we'll do we'll do that joke, and we'll we've done it, and we can then I can talk about what I want, or I can use this to get into the way I want to talk about what I want by by uh, he, dealing with it head on. I mean, uh, you know, 
if I go to Australia, I have to deal with the I have to deal with the fact that I'm British, and that they blame the British for everything terrible that happened in Australia. That all the terrible things that were done in Australia were done by the British before they t- miraculously woke up the next morning and turned out they were Australians. So, I mean, you, that, that, I think Henning's just doing a thing comedians do. Is you, you go, all right, here's the thing I'm here's the thing I'm going to have to sort of roll roll with, or 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 make use of because and, and very often to a comedian they're the same thing anyway that you make use of a thing. So you, you you've got to address it. So you use it to you use it as a can opener or whatever, or just a. Or, or to get a laugh, because after all, you know, the, the, the means of the ends in comedy are often completely tangled up together. Does that make sense, Henny? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, say, if you're posh or you come across really posh, you have to address that you come across really posh. Yeah, yeah. And if you come across like, uh, well, let's call it sword of the earth, you probably have to make a difference <laughs> that you come across sword of yes, the yeah, earth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, uh, in a rare detour from the ridiculous to the sublime, we're going to have to interrupt this exchange for a brief word from our admirable sponsors. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome back to Tommy's and Jerry's, the podcast that picks up where Operation Sea Lion left off. As a spinal <laughs> customary, I would like to reassure our listeners that we read absolutely everything you write about us on social media, including suggestions for future episodes Thanks for this one to Christoph Meyer and anecdotes about simultaneously translating ABBA songs at German, East German parties. Thanks, Alistair Bassett. Today we are joined by Al Murray, formerly designated Britain's 16th best stand-up comedian, and Henning Wynne, who uh, was once described as uh, in Britain, in a British newspaper, as being funnier than Lukas Podolsky and Adolf Hitler. <laughs> I have a question for both of you. Uh, what jokes would you uh, each be able to get away with that the other one possibly couldn't? Oh, maybe Al. Let's, let's start with you. What joke could you get away with that Henning might not? I, I don't know. I mean, I used to have a very long routine about doing nursery rhymes in a German accent and how that made them sound scary. Um, uh, <laughs> Um, which I don't know, although I'd quite like to hear Henning do Twinkle Twinkle Little Star in the sort of manner of a <laughs> war movie um, black hatted German officer, which is what I used to I used to do. I don't know if you I don't know if you'd better do that, Henning. I think you might you might induce genuine fear in the audience in a British audience. <laughs> 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 We're not here for that, are we? <laughs> but I've got such a benign face and aura, so. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Tell all the foreigners to go home. <laughs> Can you still get away with that? <laughs> yeah, really? no one believes it when I say that I mean it. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's the beauty, isn't it? Whatever you say, you've got no Im- you've got no influence on how it's being taken anyway. Yeah. So you can say whatever you like. In the audience, they write it on an individual level. They write their own story, what's being said anyway. I mean, Al knows that better than uh, yeah. than any of us. Uh, yeah. 
because you have got the widespread appeal all the way from the BNP over to uh, the hardcore, uh, the hardcore Remain lot. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's important to have a wide demographic. Yeah. <laughs> um, Henning, earlier in the episode, Catcher and I were talking about the German appetite for British comedy. And you can definitely think of a number of British comedy acts or series that are very well known and loved in Germany. But I get the impression that... Which that's ones sort of... did you come up with, though? All the physical ones, like Mr Bean and all that, or... Um, yeah, I mean, particularly Monty Python and then obviously Dinner for One and the like. But I, I get the impression that um, for a lot of comedy that's been made more recently in Britain, that isn't so much the case. I don't know anyone in Berlin who's heard of, you know, The Fast Show, Brass Eye, Reeves and Mortimer, not even Michael McIntyre. And I wonder, is that just an illusion or um, is there um, a stronger appetite for older British comedy in Germany? And if so, what is it about the British shows that have succeeded in Germany that have let them succeed. I mean, someone has to fall over or get a cake in their face or something, or or uh, <laughs> or hit their little car with a big stick, or trying to fold themselves into a Mini Cooper. So that 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 travels. But um, I mean, for 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 humour to travel, I mean, a the reference points have to be known if it's like language based. The reference points have to be known so that people. So if you wanted to talk to a German audience, the difference between Newcastle and Sunderland, well, that wouldn't really go very far. They've heard of neither, or certainly they've got no association with, with, with any of them. So how, how did Python do well in Germany, though? Because that was that was I mean, I've seen the you know, the, the, dub, the dubbed ones would turn up on um, on sort of, you know, as a DVD extra sometimes. And you'd see Monty Python with, you know, you know, John Cleese and Terry Jones arguing with each other in, in dubbed German. But it started with they were doing two episodes in German. Right. right. That's how they, and they, they essentially, they've learned their lines phonetically. So they didn't know what they were saying, but they were saying all the, they were making all the right sound to form sentences <laughs> that could be understood. So even after they themselves weren't quite sure what they were saying. So... <laughs> Um, yeah, and there is obviously what, as you say, there is the culture of dubbing, uh, which isn't the case in uh, in uh, with British television. So therefore, the other way round, so German comedy format in the UK is hard to see how that would work. Well, I don't feel we've uh, mentioned the war often enough today, so let's so let's get back to that. Um, there's a really uh, fun chapter in uh, one of the books by the German Anglophile um, and journalist uh, Peter Litger, who came uh, on Tommy's and Jerry's before to talk to us about manners. Um, and he said how much he enjoys the British habit of, of sort of mentioning the war, um, at least when it's done well. And he says he almost finds it... Uh, therapeutic. So do we think that it's too soon for comedians in Germany to start making that kind of joke? Or are there any circumstances under which it might actually be beneficial and maybe maybe good? Well, it depends on the context, isn't it? I mean, you can talk about anything as long as the as long as it serves the correct, in inverted commas, the correct purpose. So if you just say something to be to be mean spirited, and if 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 if, if, if your main intention is malice, then is irrespective of the topic that doesn't make necessarily for for great uh, comedy. Uh, but other than you can talk about anything as long as you contextualize it. I think. Yeah, yeah, agreed. I mean, uh, uh, 
the, the German spitting image, they, they, they've a Hitler puppet on this series. Interesting. Which they film here, funny enough. So, so you've got this thing happening in the UK now where they film the British spitting image or the Britbox ones, it's sort of Anglo-American. And, and at the same time, they've got the German one in production. So there is a Hitler puppet. And apparently the, the debate was which Hitler to base the pu- puppet on. Do you have it on the, is he the 1945 ruined Hitler or triumphant Hitler? or nascent Hitler, um, and they picked 1930s sort of, na- nas- you know, nascent Nazism Hitler uh, as the as the one to style the puppet on. And and, and the, 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 that, the, it, I think that's really, really interesting that they're doing, you know, because you wouldn't have a Hitler puppet on a British spitting image. That, I think, would be seen as beyond the pale now. That I think that would be regarded as, um, you know, because, the, I you know, I, I remember... Spike Milligan dressed as Hitler in his Q programs and, and and there being plenty of people dressed as Nazis in British humour in the 1970s and 80s. Freddie Starr famously would dress up as Hitler and sort of prance about. I mean, I, I, I don't even know what he did in his, what his turn was, but that's what he'd do. And, and then it's sort of, and then it's obviously, it's regarded as Detroit or as Henning says, there's no, some people think that there's no way of contextualising Hitler in comedy. It's impossible Without it being upsetting or bad taste or, or 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 insensitive, so I think it's really really interesting that they've done that on the on the German spitting image have have grasped that nettle. Um, I don't know what they're doing with him. I I I, I imagine it, he's the butt of the joke in the sketches. <laughs> you know, one would hope I, so. One would hope, but I, but I but I don't know. And I think, but I think that's nevertheless really really interesting that that, that as as Henning says. Every, it, Every what you're always contending with is the fact that every audience member is deciding what they think the whole time. Anyway, you can't control it. Once it's released into the ether, you you have no control of it. You tr- mm. you try and temper the joke to make sure it can't be misread or up or it or it's not going to upset people or it's going to upset upset the right people, which is often what a lot of comedians are interested in doing is upsetting the right people, as far as they're concerned. <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, uh. uh yeah, I just think that I think is really is really really is a really really interesting thing when we're talking about the war that that's happened in German television comedy mm. that, that 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 Hitler's back as it were. I mean, and, and yeah. if, we've talked about this before. Um, Look who's back, which I think is a, a a fascinating book, and and an incredibly funny book. Um, uh, although I don't know. The, the, the movie that followed it then did something very different with the idea, which I, which I, I, I don't know that I sort of dug quite as much. But then maybe I didn't get, as Henning says, I didn't get some of the subtleties and nuances that you that I would have got if I was a German watching that. But it's interesting, isn't it, that Hitler himself is is uh, becoming a more acceptable, um, almost subject of jokes in Germany, whilst the war perhaps isn't, and and other issues surrounding the war. Um, aren't. Well, yes, but that that falls into you know you could you can you can blame him, you know it. it there he is. He's the he's the he's the yeah exactly. He's the you, you can you can pin it on him. Whereas the the war as a collective action is a different a different kettle of fish. You know. Yeah, and it is because has got all the negative associations because, well, quite bluntly, because Germany lost. Yeah, sorry, sorry to end up on that, Henning. I mean, no, but it is. You love it. You love it. Why is Churchill? Why is Churchill seen as a hero? Well, because Britain won the war. Otherwise, the whole country would be going, I can't believe we had a fat drunkard in, 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 in charge. <laughs> so, and it's, 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 it's I, like... I find, it, I find it possible to hold both opinions, actually, Heading. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
Um, it's essentially it's like football. War and football is it's like you love the manager when the team wins, you want the manager sacked when they lose. It's as simple as that. Um Al, earlier you mentioned these these Daily Mail front pages hailing the, the sort of British comic supremacy. And yes. there's this I feel like there's also a tendency here to talk about national senses of humour, if it's, if they exist at all, as though they were something fixed. So I'm yeah. really curious to know how the things Britons and Germans find funny and the way that they've expressed those things have evolved over history and how recognisable the sense of humour, um, you know, 100, 200 years ago would be to us today. Well, I, I, that, that, that's, a, that's a fascinating question because after all, so much, so much of what we... I mean, the, the thing Henning was talking about earlier about bants is so, so much of what... Um, uh, of everyday humour, you know, doesn't get written down, doesn't exist, isn't recorded, doesn't... It does not exist in record. So you've only ever got sort of lit, essentially literary and literate sources to rely on for what people are supposedly laughing at. So, I, I, I mean, I think immediately that immediately any kind of any kind of, um, you know, sort of pH test you want to take of of comedy is is necessarily is sort of out of control. You're not going to get an honest reading. But I, I, I don't know. I mean, the, the thing I think the thing the thing that's always really interesting about 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 humour and that the, the sort of unites a, a, as a strand. When I went to Cologne, we, t- we talked about Cologne um, earlier. There was a comic, a German comic. There was a sketch group who you could you could I could tell had seen some Monty Python, right? I mean, I could tell that, right? And then there were uh, this was all live. And then there was another lad who came on and he did a character which was the post the bloke working in the post office behind the counter at the post office, and he had he had the place in complete stitches where where he was sort of doing I'll get your uh, just 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 a second I'll sort your stamps out in a moment sort of thing and everyone was roaring with laughter at his sort of at, at, at this parochial depiction and I think that's the int- that's actually the interesting thing about comedy is that is that it, the parochial is the thing that makes us all that makes us all laugh. And sometimes the parochial is universal. So for instance, when I, when I take the pub landlord abroad, everyone's seen someone who's a patriot to the point of, you know, believing everything, you know, everything's, everything in their country is absolutely perfect, except everything in their country is absolutely shit. Because, because to be a, to be a true patriot, you have to, you have to believe those two things at the same time. Um, uh, uh, And they've all seen that wherever, They've all seen that wherever they are, you know, whichever every culture produces those people. And so I don't know. But to to answer your original question, I think it's just really it's really hard to know because, you know, our our humour has ebbed and flowed. You look at you look at cartoons during the Regency period and how rude they are about politicians in a way that people wouldn't tolerate nowadays. You know, the, the cartoons of the king in the in the. At the turn of the nineteenth century, that people wouldn't would think would wouldn't publish now because they think they were too rude and too disgusting. So these things ebb and flow and change, and they're not linear. There's there's no there is no straight line. Sorry, that's a terrible answer, but I um I love it when you say yeah, people patriots or go. This is the best country in the world, except for everything is shit. That reminds me. That is so neatly put together. That reminds me. Uh, um, uh, Andrew Lawrence, he does yeah. a sketch the other day. And then he goes, he complains about this, that, and the other. So he plays someone uh, down the path, complains about this, that, and the other. And uh, everyone should get, uh, instead of paying more tax, people should get money back. 
uh, rebate for <laughs> services paid but not received and all yeah. that and then yeah. oh, just a litany of complaints and then the end it goes god save the queen <laughs> <laughs> but there we are yeah that's it. um and how much of the supposed comedic um, sort of superiority of Britain and the US is really just down to the dominance of the English language whose native speakers might not always sort of get the subtleties maybe of German wordplay or um, so do we think it's just down to that? I think in, uh, inevitably I, uh, you know it's 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 the, you know a, a soft power expression the fact that Ricky Gervais can be world famous with a with a sitcom about an office in Slough is because it's in English if he if mm. it, it was a, if it was a sitcom about an office in Dusseldorf I don't think he'd be world famous. I don't think anyone would anyone would care what he had to say about boundaries and offensiveness in comedy. He would, you know, and it, and it, I think so much of this is to, due to British soft power via the via American culture, the American cultural empire, anyway. Um, uh, and then, and yet, you can still you can you, you can still see how thoroughly lost in translation plenty of British humour is in America, and it's not just because. You know, people don't know where Newcastle and Sunderland are. It could be, it could be the, it could be the subtlest, the subtlest things. You know, because our class system is so, is so, so stratified and uh, and and at the same time incredibly subtle all at once. In a way that the America, you know, it's, it's it's like another planet to America in those terms. So you transpose a comedy from the UK to America, and you'll all of that goes out the window. You've got to you've got to refine it within American society and mm. culture if you're going to do that. So you see some successful transpositions of. British stuff to America and others not. And it's as much to do with those things as as is as if you were going, you know, you were going to say, make call my agent in English, which they're about to do. And which are, you know, the, the, the French uh, comedy about show business. I'm completely dreading because the, the French program works uh, and and I don't imagine it'll be anything like the same animal in 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 Brit mm. in, in an English environment. You know, and all these things, it's translation you know, it, it's divided by a common language is the thing with British and American comedy, you know, um, to, to, to employ a cliche. Um, there's a form of um, the sort of German comedic art form that doesn't really have a, an exact equivalent in in Britain called Cabaret. Um, a couple of years mm. ago, a couple of German friends took me to go and see a show by um, a German humorist called Dieter Nuhr, um, who's, who's, who does does this kind of cabaret thing. Um which is a mixture of uh, political satire, but also political criticism. And so, as I understand it, and this could just be that it was Dieter Neuer's act, but you don't always have to necessarily have to be funny and deliver a laugh. Well, you've seen the MASH reports. You've seen the MASH report, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but sometimes it's okay in, in Cabaret to say things that are just sustained pieces of criticism, or even to say things that are quite offensive to kind of push the boundaries of, of acceptable language do you think britain is is missing out by not having something like this well i've i mean i have to say i think britain is served by that since i've come to the country um <laughs> uh, because that is exactly that's exactly how i would describe my act is essentially stood in uh, polit as politi uh, politicus cabaret uh at uh yeah, and where, where, all, where, where all you need to have, where we're coming back to what we said earlier about lots of German humour being blunt statements, and that is exactly what Politicus Cabaret is. So a blunt statement with, uh, with the odd 
more obvious jokes thrown in, but but predominantly is all just an opinion piece. That is yeah. very funny well, if you receive it in the right way. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah and there's, there is, yeah, there's, there, there, them, them comics are very far and few, like probably Stuart Lee, I would call into that group. So what he, that he does it uh, a bit like that, but other than that, yeah, slim pickings. Mm. Well, as we're on the subject of uh, politics, I've lost count of the number of German newspaper headlines that call uh, Boris Johnson the, the clown prince of British politics. Um, and for some reason, I can't really fathom, nobody ever talks about Angela Merkel <laughs> like that in the British press. Um, how do no, the but they talk about leaders... her the other way around. A lot of criticism mm. of her was, oh, she isn't funny enough. And they say, what, 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 what? I mean, how is that? Uh, how do you rate the ability of someone being chancellor based on if they can tell a good joke or not? I mean, that is just irrelevant. <laughs> well, I mean, Jonathan Coe says that, the, you know, the, 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 the satirist novelist Jonathan Coe says, you know, that, that we're sniggering our way into disaster in this country, that we've been we've been laughing at everything and laughing up our sleeves at everything and not taking anything seriously for too long. And that, that, that that's become our... That's become our our political culture, and and he says that he says that with dismay. I mean, there there is this sort of idea in British politics that in the end nothing's particularly serious, um, which I think is which you know which we're 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 currently we're in the grip we're in the grip of it at, at its sort of zenith at the moment with, with with Johnson. I think you know it used to be when when a, a politician would tell a joke on the floor of the House of Commons, they'd all laugh. You'd think, Jesus Christ, I, I'd never I'd never open with that. And I certainly, uh, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't close with it. I wouldn't put it in the middle either. I would, you know, that that's not a joke, and they would all laugh. But Johnson, Johnson, at least seems to have the, the a, a charisma, if you want, um, that allows him to get away with being funny. I mean, I know a lot of, people, uh, you know, an awful lot of people, certainly in our business, absolutely wouldn't entertain the idea that he is that. But he, certainly to the public, he 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 seems to be able to pull that off. But you're right, Henning. Why is that a qualification for prime minister? But then German, but then German politics operates on a different level anyway because nothing's that important, is it? They don't, they don't want to take anything too seriously for fear of what might happen, you know, because of because of <clears throat> the, the 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 events from before the war, you know, where where politics got too serious. You, you, do you know what I mean? Does I think... that make sense? Let's ask the Germans. <laughs> Can you summarise what you just said? Because I'm not well, sure I get it. Well, German German politics isn't allowed to, isn't allowed anymore to be sort of to, to fall into extremes, is it? It's it's you know you 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 take it seriously, and you uh, German politics is boring. The point of the point of German politics is it's dull. It doesn't um it doesn't do anything. Sort of it would. That's why you have Merkel being boring. But it deals with problems and problem solving. Yes, boring. That's exactly the point I'm making. That's exactly <laughs> the point I'm making. It's terribly dull. <laughs> yeah, I mean, i got to say, I have come wrong. When I first arrived in Britain, I was really the whole culture of people being in personal debt, maxing out their credit cards, not worrying about it, just getting transferring it all over to another credit card and so on and so on, pile on even more debt, get a house they can't afford on a mortgage they can't afford, and then still going on holidays. And you know what? I've been here long enough that you've definitely won me over because <laughs> you live only once. What's the point? What's the point of worrying? What's the point of worrying? And then, yeah, politics is the House of Commons is a laughing stock. But why not? You only live once. 
it, nothing matters. So that is essentially, if, if I, my, my personal journey in Britain is that I've arrived at the point and I said, oh, well, nothing matters. Always getting the pints in. <laughs> well, that's a great final word, Henning. <laughs> On that note, I can hear the German precision engineered stopwatch of destiny ticking into its final <laughs> seconds, certainly of the final seconds of this podcast. Um, so we'll have to leave you here with the highest placed German entry in Reader's Digest magazine's list of the world's best jokes. Here it goes. <laughs> a man walks into a fortune teller's tent at a fairground. Ah, she says, gazing into her crystal ball. I can see you're the father of two. Ha, says the man um, scornfully. That's what you think. I'm the father of three. Well, says the fortune teller, that's what you think. Don't, don't worry. I'll wait. I'll wait. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> that's uh, sunk very quickly, even more quickly than I thought it would. Never mind. In the meantime, an effusive vielen Dank to Henning Wien and El Murray for coming on to Tommy's and Jerry's. It's been nearly as fun as the episode we did on Helmut Kohl. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Wiedersehen. Tschüss. Schönen Tag noch. And just for the record, the British entry into that Reader's Digest Hall of Fame was this. About a month before he died, my grandmother carried my, covered my grandfather's back with lard. After that, he went downhill very quickly. Tchusikovsky, <laughs> it's goodbye from Berlin. And warm wishes to all of our listeners from Sussex. Goodbye. Goodbye.